land tax, stamp duty, tenants. Sure, property is great, but there are easier ways to get your passive income, sometimes with franking credits. Through ETFs or exchange-traded funds, you can buy a basket of shares in many different companies in one trade. BetaShares offers Australia's broadest range of ETFs, including income-focused funds, which aim to provide yield-hungry investors with attractive income streams. Discover the BetaShares range of ETFs and how simple they can be to invest in by going to betashares.com.au. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is a podcast by The Rask Group. It's for educational purposes only. So please do not make a financial, legal, investment or taxation decision based on solely what you hear in this show. Welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. We're on a mission to be Australia's most trusted property podcast. I'm Owen Rask, founder of The Rask Group. I'm Pete Wardgen, author and buyer's agent. I'm Amy Lenardi, and I am a buyer's agent. I'm Chris Bates, ex-financial planner and mortgage broker. Together, we'll take you through every step of your property journey. From first home buyer to decades of property investing. G'day, welcome to the Australian Property Podcast. This is our weekly two cents segment. I'm Pete Wargent. I'm joined as usual by Chris Bates. Batesy, how's your week been? Life's been good here, Pete. Um, not too much to report on, really. It's uh, just dad life and the normal family life and lots going on at work, which is great. It's a very busy time of the year for us. Um, this sort of spring sort of time where there's usually a bit more properties on the market and people are keen to transact, but it's probably already middle of October now, right? So it's crazy. It's maybe another month of good listings coming on at best. And um, so, yeah, hopefully another good month of um, activity out there. It's uh, definitely an increased urgency out there. We've had multiple clients buy over sort of two, three million, one yesterday, circa four million, um, which we haven't really seen for some time. It's, it's definitely uh, the confidence is increasing at the high end, not just at the, the lower end. Yes, interesting you say that. We've actually had, um, just in the past week or two, we've probably had three or four properties go under contract in mm. Brisbane. Um, I think, yeah, we've been finding it hard, but actually I think you're right, there's a bit of a sense of urgency because before we before we even know it, we'll be coming around to November and then people's minds start turning towards the Christmas uh, holiday period and you know listings drop away. And definitely in Queensland, a lot of people actually go away for Christmas and New Year and nothing really happens until Australia Day weekend, certainly from an auction perspective. So, yeah, but it's good to see we're actually getting some stuff bought um, down in Brisbane. I'm just up in um, Cairns today. It's my daughter's ninth birthday. So we've uh, just been out on the reef this week. First time the kids have done that. So uh, interesting to see Cairns absolutely bustling away as well. A lot of tourism and um, everything's full and everything's expensive. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I guess, mirroring what's happening in other parts of the country. 
Um, so yeah, it's uh, a lot happening. But yeah, before we know it, we'll be talking about what happens in the lead up to Christmas. So the year's gone quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, just reflecting on a couple of purchases this week, it's you know both of those have been looking for you know at least six months, maybe closer to twelve months. I would say since the start of this year, and um, you know they've just been very patient and persistent, just very much and. They get they've been blown out a few times at auctions where they've been you know falling for the underquoting. They've uh, but they've both got great assets. One's like a massive north facing rear in the inner north, um, uh, you know, really good asset, and the other one got a really good terrace in the inner uh, in the city. It was you know, but they were they were very you know close to buying a few poor assets along that journey as well, where there was just very little quality stock on the market. And so, not only are they buying, but they're actually starting to get better quality assets, which is which is great because there's a bit more on the market. So what's the three we're going to talk about this week, Pete? What's the stories? So three stories. Um, firstly, ABC News did a piece on the increasing use of granny flats, desperate Aussies turning to granny flats due to the rental shortage. Uh, second story, property investors are driving the mortgage rebound. Uh, that was an ABS um, uh, release, a statistical release, um, also covered by Macro Business. And actually, yes, a couple of our purchases this week have been investor clients. So it's not quite as simple as investors leaving the market. There's a lot of churn going on and quite a lot of investors are actually coming back into the market now and lending, uh, getting close to its 2015 peak uh, for investors, um, partly due to higher prices. And thirdly, uh, one in three large builders losing money. So this was a big news story the Reserve Bank put out um, as part of its financial stability review. Uh, maybe not that big of a surprise, I guess. We've seen a lot of insolvencies in the sector, but just to see, even at the big end of town, so many builders uh, burning negative cash flow, quite a shock, really. And, um, yeah, some interesting comments there in the Fin Review as well in one of their pieces. So uh, let's start with the Granny Flats um, story, Chris. So ABC did quite a long-form piece here and citing some uh, very specific examples essentially talking about an ongoing rental crisis and rising property prices, which is pushing more people across more demographics into share housing and house sitting and secondary dwelling. So I guess the name Granny Flat, we traditionally think of um, you know, the, the next generation up, just a space for somebody, um, effectively grandparents, to live uh, with the extended family out the back. But increasingly, it seems Granny Flats are being used across um, all kinds of different age cohorts, younger people, Certainly in Noosa, almost every single day, there's people asking, um, looking for a room to rent or a room to share. Um, now, if you went back not so long ago, people could find rentals um, by themselves. But now, individual granny flats or rooms are renting for a few hundred dollars a week. Um, so certainly seen on the Sunshine Coast. And a number of the companies that provide these granny flats are saying they've just seen uh, soaring inquiries over the past couple of years. Um, so I guess this speaks to... Just generally, the the undersupply of dwellings that we're seeing across the country, rapid immigration uh, that's come back online, and rents are rising pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean the poor granny, right? We don't see granddad flats, do we? One of the grannies always get the flats, I guess. Um, but I mean the whole sort of idea behind it, um, it's a pretty sound one for supporting the rental crisis, right? And supporting people with um, under mortgage stress. So if they've got it, maybe you know a hundred or one hundred and fifty left over um, in equity maybe they could use that to build a granny flat on a but it has to be a bigger block you can't do this on a three or four hundred blocks that usually has to be in the more middle and outer rings where people have got access to bigger blocks but 
And if people have got bigger blocks around the city, they generally don't want to turn their land into a second dwelling. They'll usually try to keep it for a pool or a backyard and, you know, that, that will increase its value more than a second dwelling, right? So um, I think ultimately, I think it's a good thing, you know, if we can create, but it, it means we're going to get denser suburbs. It's going to put more pressure on our water, electricity. and um, But I also think councils are going to allow this a lot easier. I mean, Victorian um, government sort of came out and changed some planning controls around second dwellings. And um, I think it's great for councils, particularly if they can start to charge um, you know, more rates and things like that, if, if they can able to do that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it, but I just got to be careful. If you're an investor and you're putting a granny flat on your property, you might, might actually make that much sense to you, right? Firstly, you've, you've got to build it. So you've got to pay for it. Um, yes, you get some rental income on it, but then you've got to pay interest on the cost of the granny flat. Um, and you've got to, and maybe you're not going to add a dollar for dollar, right? So you might spend 150 on a granny flat might cost you 10 grand a year in interest, right? But you might only get 300 bucks a week rent. So 300 bucks a week rent seems like a lot of money. It's 15 grand a year. Once you minus off your 10K interest and then you minus off actual depreciation, what's actually costing you, it's falling in value. You know, how much are you really making on this thing? A couple of grand a year maybe? Um, and, it, and you're potentially having to uh, maybe reduce the rent on the front property as well because, you know, that person renting it had a big backyard. Now they haven't got a backyard, right? So they only want to pay $600, not $700 a week, right? So you've got to be really careful. Second thing is, because um, it sounds great on paper, but really how much money is it making you? Under low interest rates, under low bill costs, maybe it's better better bang for buck. The other thing is, if you're an investor and you try to sell it, if you've got it trying to sell it as two dwellings on one property, that may rule you out of the owner-occupier market or someone who wants to build their dream home or... Because they're going to look at it and go, I'm going to knock down two places, not one. And so you really try to target the investor market. Now, if the investor market is really active in that area, then great. Maybe you've, you know, having two dwellings is going to get you a better price. But if it's owner-occupier driven and particularly sort of higher income owner-occupier driven, they don't really want the granny flat. They don't really want someone sharing their space. They'd actually prefer that just to be flat land and they could put, you know, a garden, a cubby house and the you know, a pool on there for the kids rather than a second dwelling at the back. Now, sometimes I've seen it work when people have got a garage out the back and they've got a, you know, a second dwelling on top of the garage. So it doesn't really lose any space. Um, and it can be done in a way that still means that they've still got great privacy um, and they don't really even notice the other person living there. Okay, that could work. Um, there's also issues with tax. So, you know, if it's an owner-occupier, you know, we just did a, an episode with George Maurice on, on this podcast. You should probably have a listen to that one. And there's issues around renting out a room or even a granny flat on your property if it's your owner, owner occupier place of residence. So, yeah, I think granny flats are the seen as the holy grail. You know, you get a great asset, great capital growth, but also great income. That's true if you're an investor and you hold it long term. Um, you're better having two rental incomes than one over the longer term. But, um yeah, ultimately, it may not increase your capital growth um, because you've already got the land anyway. This was a debate that we had quite a lot about eight or nine years ago in Brisbane with the new city plan. There was low, medium density zoned blocks. And if you had, a, say, a 600 square meter block with a house on it, should you put a couple of townhouses on the back? Yes, I guess if you're looking for the rental income. But you do have to think the house has now got, instead of having a back garden or a pool, has now got a couple of extra dwellings at the back and have you decreased the value of the main dwelling 
you know, there's lots of, it's not um, quite as clear cut as more rent is more value. Um, sometimes you might be creating extra headaches or devaluing the property at the front of the block or, yeah, so there's there's plenty there to consider and a bit more nuance. Um, so CoreLogic said the rental shortage is actually getting worse. Number of rentals available is now at a record low, just 1.1% of available properties sitting vacant in September. Much tighter still, I guess, in Perth, in Brisbane, Increasingly, Melbourne, it seems. Sydney's very tight. Perth is extremely tight. Adelaide's very tight. So a lot of the capital cities just seem very, very tight rental markets. The median weekly rent has increased by more than 30% over the past three years, or about $140 a week since July 2020. So CoreLogic's Eliza Owen said big uh, factor here um, was that desire for people to get bigger homes with fewer people through the pandemic. Because if you went back, Three or four decades ago, we had about, on average, three people per dwelling, and it's fallen to nearly two. Um, so even with the same number of people, uh, we need more housing. But obviously, we've got now record high population growth as well. So Eliza Owen said there's been a shortfall in investors building new properties for renters as interest rates have increased. And a couple of the granny flat companies, um, so granny flats in Cabins Victoria, said they've been building a lot more for kids coming back and in-laws, so it's not just about grannies, and that's due to rents going up. Also, another granny flat company, um, DIY Granny Flat, said um, they've seen over the past 18 months inquiries have doubled. Um, so, yeah, look, there's a lot of pressure on the rental market, Chris. And as I think we've touched on before, right down at the bottom end of the rental market, people are really grappling with the market conditions and just struggling to find somewhere to rent even. Yeah, and I so I think that you know if, if more granny flats get built, that's going to potentially, you know, building a high-rise apartment, which we've spoken about, you know, building lots of townhouse development. These things take years. Granny flats don't usually take as long, and particularly if you can get through council really easy. And so I think this is a way increasing our dwellings. I guess I guess our rooms that are available for rent, and that's a good thing. Um, even if it's taking people out of, uh, you know, helping your family, well, you're potentially stopping them having to rent something else. So I'm all for this, but. As an investor or a property owner, I, I'd just be a little bit hesitant doing it to my own properties. Um, you know, some properties absolutely we've seen at work. I can think of a client up in Central Coast where they had a corner block. Um, you know, they could potentially, they cut off the back of the property and it didn't really impact the front property. You know, yeah, they lost a little bit of land, but they still had enough land on that property to be super desirable to a high income family. And then they had this second dwelling at the back that had a separate entrance and it was done really well, but I've been to lots of properties, you know, um, where, you know, you share a driveway or the backyard is so small in the front property that it's not even that, you can't even use the backyard. So you've got two dwellings, but it's just, you butchered the first property and you've really decreased the value of that property to get an extra income. Um, and I just don't think you'd sell it for anywhere near as much as what it just cost to build the granny flat because um, you basically ruled out the owner-occupy markets. Be really hesitant doing and as an investor that goes and buys property that have two incomes um just be aware that you know that's two people you've got to get uh rent off um you know it's not just that's you know two tenants you need to manage and that when you ever sell it one day you're going to be at the mercy of the investor market because if it's not suited to the owner occupier market if that owner occupier market is driving the market which that is the predominantly predominant force in the market you just got to hope that when you sell it one day that the investors are really active in that area. Um, so just be really careful.
Yeah, think about the resale and who, who you're going to be selling to. Uh, just to wrap up on this one, CoreLogic economist Eliza Owen doesn't have good news for renters in the short term. There's going to be some pain as we continue to see strong flows of net overseas migration. She says that's from the ABC News piece. Um, that said, uh, CoreLogic is not showing the price of asking rents soaring as quickly now, partly due to affordability. And Miss Owen also believes investors may get back into building new rentals in the coming years as economists predict that interest rates will ease off for lending. So, yes, actually, just in the past few days, there's been a bit of a shift in market pricing and markets starting to think about interest rate cuts towards the end of 2024, uh, which I think would be something that would drive an investor rebound and maybe get construction happening again. Um, but I saw a piece by, by Roger Montgomery this week, the fund manager, he said, you can forget all economists' forecasts uh, construction is not going to lift until prices rise significantly, which is attuned with my understanding of how property markets work. We've seen this in previous cycles. If interest rates are high and prices aren't high enough, nobody's going to be building. Uh, but if prices start to rise, that could drive confidence. Chris, this kind of maps into the second story, property investors beginning to drive a mortgage rebound. So uh, the lending figures from the ABS rose 2.2%. In August, investor commitments rose 1.6%, owner-occupier commitments up 2.6%. But actually, over the year, uh, mortgage commitments are now only about 9% lower, and investor mortgage commitments are only 3% lower. So they're getting back now towards the 2015 peak. Uh, this was quite interesting because a lot of the news stories are talking about investors leaving the market. But clearly, there's a bit of churn here because more investors are coming into the market as well, maybe just... Uh, as a result of growing confidence. Is that something you've seen as a broker? Yeah, so there is a cohort of people that have usually, uh, or first-time buyers that can't afford to buy, so they're buying investment property. So they'll go down, it's really a first-home buyer, but they're forced to buy an investment property. I think that's leading to higher figures. So the, the loan will be investment debt, not owner-occupied debt. They'd love to buy a, a home, but they're being forced to buy investment just because of capacity. Um, and so I think that's probably looking at the figures. So. So I don't think that's really invested debt, to be honest. I think it's, you know, invested in my mind a lot of the time is when someone's got a home um, or they're already, maybe they're rent vesting and they've got multiple investment properties and they're just seeing themselves as investors. And so I think they're, a lot of those multiple property investors are capped out. You know, they, they have got, because they've leveraged up, they've, they've used their capacity as, and they can't have any more capacity unless their incomes have gone up 40% and then a lot more than that to increase the capacity. So I'd say that that first-time property investor is there, um, but a lot of them still have capacity problems. You know, I had a client yesterday. Um, you know, they want to buy an investment property, but they can only borrow four hundred. So, you know, last year ago they could have bought nine hundred on top of their current debt. So, you know, their options are completely different. So, in their situation, they're just going to keep that uh, that gunpowder back. So, I do do think that's there, um, but I don't think every homeowners got the ability to you know borrow a lot of money and if they can't borrow a lot of money then a lot of them are deciding not to use it however there's a lot of spruiking going on right now in the investment uh, property space probably more than i've ever seen it to be honest on the multiple different channels whether it's youtube or whether it's um, on the other social channels and they're all pushing this you know low data driven you know cheap uh, investment properties on high yields and you know they're looking at places like perth etc and um so i think there's there's that there's a lot of people who they're falling for the marketing of this this holy grail amazing yield and amazing capital growth and no risk and just get in and what you're doing is you're seeing investor gluts going to areas where 
um, and you're flipping markets from usually owner-occupied driven to investor driven. And what that does is create more rental supply in those areas and it completely changes the dynamic of those areas and they become less desirable to owner-occupiers. So um, I would say there's that. There's a lot of investors that are going for the cheaper stuff right now, particularly because the rates are higher um, and they want a higher yield to offset that. Um, so, yeah, we, we, I, but I do think that a lot of the higher income people, a lot of them have got capacity problems um, and they've got other mortgage they need to service on high interest rates and they don't want to, to leverage up. That's an interesting uh, point. I, I guess as somebody who's been self-employed for at least the last uh, dozen years and longer, there's been various times where my borrowing capacity has been quite constrained and you've only got so much to play with and therefore you kind of, you either have a choice, you either wait until your borrowing capacity is stronger or you just pull the trigger and use the borrowing capacity you've got to the best of your ability. And that sometimes pushes you into the cheaper markets. Now, my experience of that over the long run is you quite often can find so some of the sort of counter-cyclical markets or the cheaper end of the market, you can get a really nice uh, run on capital growth for two or three years. You know, you might get 30 or 40% as a, an area takes off, but then you might find a very long period where nothing really happens. You know, maybe you get a decade of no performance. And um, yeah, I guess that, that can be the case sometimes if you're focusing on the cheapest available property or asset or those uh, cheaper markets you can get a nice little uh, uplift as everyone piles in but then you might find over the very long run it's not actually a stronger performing asset um so look, those are the things that people have to weigh up especially with borrowing capacities quite constrained as they are at the moment so um just to circle back to the macro business yeah analysis. oh sorry you go, on Chris. that point on that point pete you know like if someone does use their 400 or 500 now right then it's gone you know, it's not. It's gone until they sell, right? Because you've used your capacity. Yeah, that's the limited resource we've all got. So, you need to be really careful and protect your borrowing capacity. It's a mindset shift. It's not some something there to be used flippantly. And I could always just get more borrowing capacity. No, we're always going to have a limit on how much capacity we've got. Um, and more may come in the future. So you may say, well, I don't want to use that now because in twelve months' time I might have more. So. In 12 months' time, this this client particular I'm talking about yesterday, I mean, she's on maternity leave. She'll go back full-time. That's going to pump it up. He's got a business. He reckons this year financially is going much better than last year. So that's going to pump it up. Um, you know, rate cuts potentially next year. APRA could step in next year. Uh, tax cuts next year. Uh, bank innovation, which is going to be inevitable really under low borrowing capacity. Banks are going to do anything they can to increase borrowing capacities. Um, it's in their incentive. So... Um, yeah, so they, they, they potentially go and use it now. They bet on an area, even if it goes up 20%, how much money do they make? Not much because you you might make 7% on whatever they buy it, so 30 grand. But if it goes up 30 or 40, which would be a really big call, big bet, um, over two or three years, you'd have to get it perfectly right. You'd have to basically, to get it go up 30 or 40, it's probably, you basically have to get in before it starts going up because if it's already started going up, it goes up fast. So it might have gone up 15 20% already. Well, then it's got to go up 50 or 60%. Not many markets go up 50 or 60% in the short run, right? So you basically need to get to the party before anyone else gets there, right? And um, so yeah, that's a risk because you you have to be counter-cyclical. You have to be the person who's betting where no one else is betting. And so to get 30 40%, you've got to, got to get there early. And then you've got to basically get out while there's still some FOMO in the market. And it's hard to get out because usually what happens is the market will top and then it'll quickly decline a bit when that FOMO takes out of the market. 
um, and then it'll stabilize. And so the, the, to get that true 30, 40, you've got to get in early and you've got to get out just before the top hits. Um, and it's like climbing a mountain. I remember the old price, uh, uh, the price is right game. There was a you know, the ladies to climb the mountain. You had to sort of push the button before we fell off the mountain. I think that's, a, that's an analogy I think investors sometimes um, should think about. Yes, although we've talked about this a couple of times before. Um, as a, somebody tries to be a counter-cyclical investor these days, there, were, there have been times when it's been possible. Uh, Geelong around 2014 was one, like when everyone was talking about the, the factory closures. Um, in Brisbane in 2017, when everybody was crapping their pants about a massive overbuilding, um, there was a lot of forced sellers or very willing sellers, and you could buy stuff really cheap in the blue-chip areas. But... Um, it's one thing to sit here and say, you know, this is the way to do it. It's actually much harder in real time when the headlines are telling you it's the end of the world and it's a financial stability risk and the market's going to crash. It's quite hard to be the person who says, right, now's my opportunity. And it's exactly the same in the stock market, by the way, uh, when the markets are at the bottom. Um, headlines are screaming about the end of the world. That's your opportunity, but it's much harder to actually buy than it sounds. Um, so macro business said, um, the two charts above in their article show that the mortgage rebound growth is overall being driven by investors with the value of investor commitments almost back at the 2015 peak, Leith Van Onsel and Macro Business. This flies in the face of recent reports claiming that investors are bailing out uh, with a higher than usual share of investors selling. There are also more investors purchasing, so there's plenty of churn in the market. Just one thing that stood out, Chris, in the ABS figures, though, lending to purchase and construct a new home over the past quarter is now the lowest in 15 years since 2008. So yes, investors are getting back, but they're not keen at all on buying new or constructing at the moment. So I guess uh, that really ex probably explains why we do have such a, a significant shortage of dwellings, especially rentals. Yeah, I mean, that's really concerning, isn't it? I mean, that's a real construction issues had a really rough run, weather, COVID, building prices, labour, you know, the whole home builder thing and the competition and buying work and, you know, the fixed price contracts and losses. And, you know, I, I do really feel for the construction industry. We're seeing massive insolvencies and um, they're already running on tight margins. A lot of people think the developers and builders run on big profit margins. They don't. They run on pretty tight margins. And, um, you know, their return on equity or return on cash can be really high. Um, you know, because they're leveraging their money, but they're taking enormous risk to get that return on equity. The, the margin on the job isn't as high as people think just because of the competitiveness in there. Um, but maybe that competitiveness isn't going to be there as much because we've had all this insolvencies and business, businesses have gone under and builders are going to want bigger margins to justify the risk. Um, so I think that, um, yeah, it's not great. You know, when you're growing our population at, your famous stat, Pete, 2,000 people a day, um, you know, five, 700,000 a year, we need to be building more than we ever have. And um, this is flies in the face of the $1.2 million, uh, 2 million homes they want to build in the next five years. Well, we're the, you know, it's pretty optimistic when we're at the lowest since 2008. Um, so, yeah, the investors entering the market, I think even if there is strong, a number of volume of loans is similar to 2015, it's nowhere near like it was in 2020 or 2021, right? Um, and uh, I think to offset the amount of people leaving, it's got to be a way higher than where it is now. I think there's a lot of investors that are closing debt down um, on investment properties. Uh, 
that it's going to be way more than the you know 10 15 billion a month or whatever it is of invested debt it's not even that circa 10 billion a month um i think there's a lot more debt leaving the system for investors than entering well in fact you'd be right because the reserve bank does show credit growth figures on a monthly basis and yes on a net basis so the um the growth in credit to invest is very very low uh, it's running at about 0.2 percent a month so basically nothing uh, so there's a lot of people selling or paying down debt as well as entering the market so third and final news story this week a third of large builders are losing money so the reserve bank as part of its uh, financial stability review uh, this quarter did an article on this um, so despite talk of greedy developers many of them are going bust a third of larger developers are burning negative cash flow according to the financial stability review a couple of articles in the fin review covered this um uh, one in three big home builders are losing money almost one in three large home builders are hemorrhaging cash said the fin review as the construction construction sector battles rapidly rising wages and materials costs leading to a surge in insolvencies hutchinson hutchinson builders the largest constructing contractor in queensland said even his company this is the um uh, CEO um, Scott speaking um, said that in some months, even with a three billion dollar annual revenue, some months the negative cash flow being uh, reported. And um, he said uh, Scott Hutchison told the AFR that's an understatement for a lot of family-owned companies. It wouldn't be every month, but some months effectively just losing money. Um, we saw a couple more insolvencies over the past week. Victoria, South Australia. We've seen another developer in um, New South Wales not finishing projects and leaving people out of pocket with their deposits. So uh, as you were just touching on before there, Chris, a lot of pressure, uh, thin margins, we've got leverage, rising interest rates, costs have soared for materials. And now it seems wages as well as a real um, shortage of skills across the construction sector because construction has been booming uh, in other parts of the market, things like mining, infrastructure, uh, so it's not just a housing story and yes the government may have increased its target from 1 million homes in five years to 1.2 million uh, but anyone can change a target um, the reality is we're just not doing it yeah i mean i've got a huge construction client that i do uh you know financial well-being i've been when i was a financial advisor i used to you know set up their super fund and individual financial advice for all their staff and I still act in a property mortgage capacity for the business and so I'm constantly talking to their staff members at all levels, everything from the, you know, the contract administrator to the project manager to the construction manager to the, the head of industrial to, the, you know, all elements of the business and I always ask them a good litmus test for me is what's happening on the ground when I'm talking to them because they're pricing up jobs, they're competing, they're up. Um, you know, doing tenders for jobs and the, you can see how comp competitive markets is. And buildings are all, I think, while homes and resis are a big part of the market, so is school, so is road, so is, you know, major infrastructure projects like the the trains that are going under our cities and the airport out in Western Sydney and everything that's happening in Brisbane for the Olympics. And so, you know, there's a lot of pressure in this space. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's, you know, a couple of bad jobs can really hurt you, right? You know, it's because the margins are tight. If something really goes wrong, which even if weather's causing that or something out of your control, your your kitty gets um, evaporated, your buffer. Um, and so, yeah, we, we really need a real strong construction industry. I think this is where you're going to see some real support coming into the market, whether it's government in, 
um, you know, subsidies or whatever it might be to to help. Uh, back in like, you know, 2020, 21, I think the labor was a massive issue when I was talking to. Uh, whether that's sort of still happening, uh, whether people have got the confidence to switch construction companies in this market, I don't know if I would. If I was a, on a good wicket, um, I was at a company that took care of me, would I just gamble and try to take another 15, 20% pay rise um, knowing that that company may or may not be around when I, you know, it's, it's when the grass is always greener. Do you do that in this market or do you stay and not get a bit too um, overconfident on your income? I think back a couple of years ago, people were becoming project manager and then leaving a couple of months later and picking up a 50, 100K pay bump just to swap companies. And the construction industry is a tough job. They, it is deadlines. There's so much money and pressure on certain dates. Um, and if it doesn't get a, done by certain dates there's big penalties and you know there's uh settlements and there's holding costs and you know and so when things start you know when things are going well i think everything's okay but when things are running behind it is a tough job you are expected to work ridiculous hours so um yeah it's a tough time yeah so the rba piece showed um insolvencies went very low during 2020 and 21 we effectively had a moratorium on companies going insolvent they've come absolutely roaring back but construction in particular uh, now almost a third of insolvencies accounted for by the construction sector i think um, just to finish on a slightly brighter note chris um on the day of recording the fin review um, covered the cordell construction index and it showed over the september quarter the pace of growth in construction cost eased by 0.2 of a percentage point to 0.5% over the September quarter. So cost is still going up, but that is the lowest rate of growth since 2015. So Tim Lawler said this is potentially signaling lower inflation figures ahead. Construction costs are now hardly rising, at least compared to what they were over the past year, increasing at a milder level now. So this is great news for inflation as housing, said Tim Lawless. As it's the biggest weighting and in inflation measurement and the cost of new residential owner-occupier homes is the biggest component of the housing category. There was also earlier this week um, the National Australia Bank Business Survey. I always like to read this, Chris, because I guess it's the nearest we have as a to a real-time indicator of what's happening in the economy. A lot of the ABS figures are kind of backward-looking and tell you what was happening a few months ago, but the NAB survey for the september quarter showed price pressures really tumbling labor costs purchase costs selling costs across the board really a big drop um now we had record high inflation pressures in 2022 but now they're normalizing all the way back down so i think this suggests anyway that um uh, interest rates are pretty much at the peak now and um, the higher interest rates that have been delivered are doing what they were supposed to uh, unemployment starting to rise. Um, the cost of materials is easing off uh, for builders. Um, I think uh, you know sales prices generally, according at least according to the NAB survey, are starting to ease away. So I think um, yeah, there's been a lot of panic over the past 15 months about the the trajectory of inflation and prices, but it seems that's um, ebbing away now, and the the higher interest rates are doing their job. Yeah, the Steve the Cook does his um. Two minute update. So I listened to one he did yesterday um, on on this, and he sort of made some good points. He said it's the final nail in the coffin for rate increases, right? Because he basically what you're talking about. And um, you mentioned Roger Montgomery before. Um, when we had him on the elephant years ago, and he does really get property. I feel he he does understand um, liquidity and scarcity and what drives prices and the the lifestyle benefit of assets. Um, 
And so he's his point there where you were right, you've been saying the exact same thing, Pete, where, you know, price, it's not until prices go up substantially that builders can make a profit enough to then they'll go and build. Um, and, you know, the Victorian government brought out some issues with land banking, right, trying to target developers that have got land that they could develop and they're going to charge them, you know, like a vacancy tax on it. I think that's pretty hard to put more taxes on developers right now um, because who's then? It's not their problem to want to develop that land when they can actually make a profit. They own it, right? It's it's hard to say you need to develop it right now if it's not profitable. Well, how can you force someone who's already, you know, on tight margins to, to build something if it's not profitable? So, um yeah, I think this is going to be a big story over 2024. This isn't going to go away, and so so isn't our rental crisis, our housing housing affordability crisis. I think this is going to be a real Yimby versus NIMBY is going to come out a lot, um, and it's going to be a big conversation in 2024. I enjoyed the uh, Roger Montgomery episode you guys did. I think sometimes um, <clears throat> it's good to get to understand the person uh, behind the business. You know, I think. Uh, especially in funds management and to some degree in real estate commentary, there's some big egos and big opinions out there, but actually hearing his background story and how he came uh, to be in financial services as, as a fund manager, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit. And uh, certainly in alignment with what he's saying there is that uh, if you're going to get uh, more supply to come online, you can uh, sort of governments can tweak around the margins, but actually the problem is that builders aren't making any money. And until prices go up, construction is just not going to lift so um yeah pretty interesting point i wholeheartedly agree with his macro viewpoint there so big three news stories this week desperate aussies turning to granny flats long form piece from the abc property investors drive the mortgage rebound uh, australian bureau of statistics and analyzed by macro business and a couple of pieces in the fin review um uh, sort of resulting from the Reserve Bank's financial stability review. One in three large builders are now losing money, which really doesn't suggest we're going to be delivering 1.2 million homes over five years. Um, uh, well, let alone uh, if we can hit the 1 million target first would be a good start. Um, so that's it for today, I think. So um, thank you so much, Chris, and thanks everyone for tuning in. As usual, send us your property questions via the link in the show notes if you just want to say hello. You can catch me on Twitter at Pete Wargent. On my daily blog is uh, Pete Wargent Blogspot. And Chris, uh, if people want to give you a yarn over a Blusk, where should they go? Definitely jump in the show notes and fill in the, the, the small type form and we'll get in touch and book a call. You can actually book directly on that um, form as well. Sorry we didn't get the two cents out last Sunday if you were sort of eagerly waiting. Hopefully that tax episode was enough to um, satisfy you with uh, George. Um, the RAS team had a huge few weeks with the rash road show so we've got delayed a couple of days but so it's not two cents this week it's four cents so um we're, we're adding up the dollars here pete um hope everyone has a, enjoyed the listen today and um, have a great sunday cheers thanks chris Thanks for tuning into the Australian Property Podcast. If you love the show, why not subscribe or leave us a review on Apple or Spotify? And if you want to work with me, Amy, Pete, or Chris, you'll find links in your podcast player to get in contact with us. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Australian Property Podcast. We're huge advocates of getting the right advice at the right time from the right people. That's why it's important to understand that this podcast episode contained general financial information only. It is not designed to be specific or personalized to your financial, tax, or legal situation. 
With property, the check sizes are pretty big, so it's important you get advice from a licensed and trusted professional before acting on the information you hear in RAS podcasts. Thanks again for listening. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.